1: Blue Iron. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined by my co-host Nick Delato. Today we're going to start our positional series, breaking down Each position on the Giants roster as we head into the 2020 offseason, continuing to roll on without practicing. But we're going to be breaking down position by position. We're going to pause in the middle of it just to do one special podcast coming up, breaking down Daniel Jones' deep passing game as a rookie, what we like, what we think he can improve. But we're also going to do a full breakdown of the quarterback position as well. That might have a featured guest on it and keep on the lookout. But these positional series are going to hopefully – Give you guys a refresher on the roster. What we're expecting moving forward, as, again, remember, the Giants are introducing a new offensive and defensive system, both sides of the ball, new coaches. That means changes for every single position on the roster. But before we do that, and today's podcast, by the way, as you'll see from the title, we'll be diving into the running back position first. We're going to do the skills, we're going to hit the QBs, and then we're going to hit the offensive line and then move to the defensive side of the ball and special teams. But... Today's podcast, before we dive into this running back position, I just did want to get a little update into the new livelihoods of Nick and I during this coronavirus time and, you know, everything else that's going on in the world. It has been a couple of weeks since we hit you with the Patrick Graham podcast. Hopefully, I, I know from what we've heard, you guys really enjoyed that. So how you been doing
2: since then, Nick? Dan, man, I'm I'm doing fantastic. So I was hit with a little bit of nostalgia. So I was bored one night, right? And I went down to my roommate's Xbox 360, and I threw on NCAA 14, and I started playing a Dynasty mode. Yeah. And I don't play a lot of video games, okay? I'll play a little PUBG every now and again. I haven't played Madden in a while. But now I'm about season six into this. I don't play the games. I simulate. I simulate. But I am turning the Marshall thundering herd who I've had such an affinity for, for so long, I'm turning that program into a top five program in college football. And I'm very proud of it.
1: I love it. I love it, Nick, because (laughs) a few things, one, weirdly enough, one of my best friends growing up, Nathan Egan, shout out. Um, He's a Jets fan. He probably won't be listening to this, but he weirdly was a massive Marshall fan too. And I never understood it. Um, And then luckily for him, Chad Pennington was quarterback of the Jets. It was like a dream come true for him because he was a diehard Jets and Marshall fan. So I think that's probably where it started for you with the Pennington-Randy Moss days, I assume. But as far as NCAA goes, Nick, whew, I love that game. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of simulating. I agree with simulating some games, um, especially once you lose and you're kind of out of contention. But those big games, come on, you got to play them, but... It's okay, it's okay. The most fun part, I will agree, about NCAA. I'll never deny it. The most fun part is always the recruiting process. It's by far and away the most fun part of those dyn- the, of that game and the dynasty mode. That's for sure. But like I said, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that your team is doing well. Marshall's on the, on the map. Uh, as far as my updates go, I had my birthday last week, so that was fun. Uh, pretty, low-key, pretty low-key birthday for me. I did a social distancing dinner with my uh, parents, my brother's back in the city, so he wasn't there. And then my friend Scott Yanovsky, big uh, uh, friend growing up, one of my best friends, he just did the coolest thing. The dude is uh, married. He has a dog. He's living that kind of life, and he has a house. And he built a basketball court in his uh, in his back in the backyard of his house. This thing is a full court extends past the foul line, legit three point line. We were taking shots. We we're like, oh my god, this is an NBA three. This range couldn't be more excited. Literally went there and. And without a doubt, we looked at the clock, and it was two hours and 11 minutes later, and we've finally done shooting. I've never been more sore since, since the break, since the corona break, because I, I haven't lifted weights in three months now. And my elbow, forearm, and shoulder the next day were just thrashed from that. It was a great birthday. It was a great way to end that night, in my opinion. So I had a good time. So nothing else too crazy, Nick, going on. But, but yeah, definitely had a good birthday. Did Dan
2: Schneier ball?
1: I got Here's the thing. I'm an asset to any team where a there's a couple requirements that need to be in place. Nick, one, no one we can't have a court full of six foot or taller people. Then I'm automatically a, a negative. Two, bad. having said that, as long as we got people around my height, I'm five foot nine. Here's what I give you: I make every single shot from sixteen foot in, feet in. I don't miss shots from sixteen feet in. It's it's a running joke with my friends. I literally don't miss those shots. I very rarely create. I'm not a creator. I play unbelievable defense. I hustle my ass off. I'm literally the most competitive person on the court every game. I treat every single game I play like it's, like it's the NBA Finals, and that can be a negative at times. People don't love that competitive nature always. But, but, again, like I said, I think I'm a pretty good asset to the team. Good defense, good hustle, and I'll make every shot from 16 feet in.
2: <laughs> I can relate to the competitiveness. My, my girlfriend gives me a lot of crap because I play cards with the roommates and it's just it's not fun when I'm not winning. <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I, exactly. I complain all the time, dude. It's, I don't
1: get it. I, I don't I, get I, how people have fun losing. I, I'll uh, never understand it. The, the object of the game is to win. That's all I care
2: about. A hundred percent, dude. And literally, I, it's one of my biggest character flaws, but it's one of my best character traits, if that makes any yep. sense.
1: I completely agree with that. Why do you think Jordan was so good? That's the number one reason.
2: And obviously, Dan Schneier, Nick Filato, we're Michael Jordan. That's Michael what Jordan. We've got a lot in right.
1: common with those three. <laughs> All right, Nick, let's dive into the position, though. We're going to start with the running back position. And you can't start anywhere but—when but you're breaking down this position, you can't go anywhere else but going with Saquon Barkley first because based on the Giants' moves, uh, both in free agency and the draft, it's pretty clear, uh, also based on some things we'll get to in a moment, some some quotes, some comments we've taken away from the season— Past history with Jason Garrett, it's pretty clear that Saquon Barkley will once again be a massive workhorse for the 2020 season. I'm pretty confident about that. Now, Barkley, after an unbelievable rookie season, and I want to get to that before we dive into his sophomore season, because it is important, took somewhat of a step back in his sophomore season extenuating factors, high ankle sprain that he maybe was never fully recovered. He said, stop talking about it. I'm recovered. I don't know if that's true. At least mentally speaking, it looked like it took him all the way until about you know week 14 in that range to finally feel himself again. But just keep in mind what he was able to accomplish as a rookie behind an offensive line in 2018 that was downright terrible, by the way. It was just not a good offensive line. With quarterback Eli Manning, who we all know was over over the hill at that point, let's be honest, there were just a ton of checkdowns. The mo- offense was not moving vertically, and there and it wasn't there wasn't much going on. And yet, in spite of all that, in his rookie season, and remember, third extenuating factor, he was running behind an inside zone scheme almost exclusively with Pat Shermer in 2018. That was pretty much foreign to him. I mean, this is not a system. These are, these are plays that he was running behind that were not very common in that Penn State offense. And if you guys watch that Penn State team in 2017 and 2016 with Barkley, you know how different that offense was from what the Giants have run with him in the first two years of his NFL career. I mean, that was a exclusive shotgun offense, zone read throughout the board, and there was a ton of gap in power. And yet, in spite of all that, Barkley became the third rookie ever to eclipse 2000 yards. Barkley had had the 40 plus plays. This is the craziest out of his rookie year. He had nine plays of 40 plus yards just to put that in perspective because it's absolutely bonkers. Nine plays of 40 back 40 plus yards. We uh, compare it to the guys from the last 28 years who have done that. So the running backs, Chris Johnson in the 2009 season, that was when he won NFL offensive player of the year. He had 10 of those plays. Okay. Barry Sanders, Hall of Famer Barry Sanders, broke 12 plays of 40-plus yards during the 1997 season, Nick, where he won the MVP award. But besides besides Sanders during that year and Johnson during that year, literally no other running back has eclipsed his nine and that was in his rookie season. And this was a stat from 2018, Nick. It's not, it's not accurate now. It was after the 2018 season. Barkley's 40 uh, nine plays of 40 plus yards came on 331 touches. In Ezekiel Elliott's career to that point through the 2018 season, Nick, on 978 touches, he only had six plays of 40 plus yards. <laughs> So that was, I love that one. He also broke the Giants rookie rushing touchdown. He broke Reggie Bush's uh, all-time rookie receptions rec- uh, record for a running back. He broke an old Eric Dickerson record that was, you know, years old, where, where it was um, most games with 100 yards from scrimmage during his rookie season. He had 12 of those. So really, all together, this is a guy. By the way, not only did he break the rookie receptions record, Uh, You know, topping Reggie Bush. He also broke the Giants rookie reception record, topping, uh, topping Odell Beckham Jr. I'm sorry, he came second, topping Odell Beckham Jr. So really just unbelievable stuff from Barkley. But then obviously last year, the injuries hurt him. And I want to know from your perspective, Nick, what do you think that Barkley took a step back in his sophomore season and in addition to that, do you think it was due more to extenuating factors or do you think that legitimately he may have actually regressed uh, as a football player?
2: It is 100 percent due to extenuating factors. It's hard to really quantify, I guess you could say, Saquon Barkley's lack of success last year without looking at the rest of the roster and what was surrounding him. And you could start with the coaches. You could start with the play calling of Pat Shermer and how Hunter, the offensive line coach, and just how that inside zone scheme was never ever play that they could rely on first down second down. It didn't matter. They can never get the three, four yards that they needed to on those plays. And that's kind of what you expect. You know, it could just never be established. And I didn't, I don't blame Saquon in, in the fact that literally it would be hike. And there would be somebody right in his face because that inside zone scheme and that offensive line was just never cohesive whatsoever. And like you said, it wasn't, it was a foreign thing to Saquon. He was still able to do what he did in 2018, but now you get Mark Colombo coming in, right? And you're going to see a lot more gap. You're going to see a lot more power. You're going to see a lot more duo, which is like, they say power without the puller. You're going to see a lot more things like that. Now duo and inside zone, they can kind of look the same when you just look at it bare bones, but The difference basically is I want to say that the running back reads the mic and then makes his choice, and basically it's focused on establishing double teams and driving them vertically more so than just kind of inside zone where they don't necessarily drive as vertical. But I think we're going to see more duo blocking schemes as well. It's going to be hard to kind of decipher because they do look very similar to inside zone, but giving Saquon Barkley the ability to kind of read that mic and then react and not just kind of go after a certain point because in the inside zone scheme like you're going to run towards the inside leg of the tackle in the two hole or whatever it's going to be Like it's not going to necessarily be like that i don't believe that he regressed whatsoever i i think it's more of the fact that it was the offensive line i think it was more of the fact that he was injured and yes stop asking about the injury that's kind of what he alluded to the entire time and i do think he came back it was supposed to be a, what an eight-week injury came back in three weeks he probably was playing through being dinged up, but even though he was, I still don't think he had much that he could do with what the offensive line was giving him. He never had those holes that he could hit. He never was able to really break out into space and accelerate. So and then you watch him against Detroit, and he was manhandling people. I mean, he was throwing people to the ground. I'm very high on Saquon Barkley this year. That's no hot take whatsoever. I think what is he going to be the third to fifth pick in a fantasy draft somebody's going to get him because he had a somewhat down year and he could easily win championships because he has this kind of game-breaking ability i don't think it's crazy to say he's the best running back in the nfl it's not homerism he's a unique talent man he has imposing size with literally the agility and a similar skill set to barry sanders and i don't even think i'm being hyperbolic there bro he's he's an incredible talent and here are some ads for your enjoyment there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. That's right free and live right now on bet online's youtube channel you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-chicago bulls ron harper horace grant bill cartwright and craig hodges to discuss the michael jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BlueWire, all one word to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action bet online your online wagering solution. Right,
1: Nick. And, I mean, listen, Barkley will sit there and he'll tell you, stop talking about the injury, I'm not injured. But guess who else did that his entire career? Eli Manning. And we're talking about Eli Manning, a guy who was dealt with a lot bigger injuries than anyone ever realized because he downplayed every single one of them because that's the type of leader he is. I mean, there was an injury from e- for where Eli suffered in 2009 against the Chiefs in a game in Kansas City that was literally an injury that should have been four-week injury, and he came back and played the next week. And that was not uncommon in his career. That happened multiple times. And I think Barkley is going to be a similar type of player, like you said. Beat an eight-week high ankle time, time high ankle sprain timeline in three weeks. So for me, the bigger thing for Barkley moving forward is will he benefit like we're expecting? From the change in the scheme as the Giants move to more power and gap concepts, you went over what the idea of power and gap concepts are. It's the idea is to get more space by pushing guys vertically. And instead of, you know, a zone scheme where kind of, in my opinion, it fits, it doesn't really fit a runner like Saquon Barkley, who has the kind of agility to make moves and to, to make people miss an open space. It kind of fits a one cut and go runner. And Barkley can be that runner. I mean, we saw him with the long touchdown runs against Washington multiple times where he's just cut where he's just planting his foot and exploding through the open zone. But he can do, in my opinion, he can be a lot better in a power and gap scheme. And my question for you would be, do you think that that is because of his skill set, why he had more success in power and gap at Penn state and why we think, and and in that case, why he would have more success doing it in the NFL next season with Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo, or do you think that it was kind of just a, you know, a product of different circumstances at Penn state? Does it actually fit his specific skill set better?
2: I do. I feel Barkley's, if you had to knock him, he could struggle sometimes with his decisiveness on which hole he's going to go to. Whereas in a power gap scheme, there's usually one hole. We're going to hit the B gap, hit the two hole. We're gonna hit the one hole. We're gonna hit the three hole, what have you. Okay. So that's where we're going to go. You have a lead blocker. You follow that lead blocker. You hit that hole and then you accelerate into space and you make that alley defender miss. Whereas inside zone, it's not exactly like that okay inside zone that i believe you're you're going to hit your uh, landmark whichever whatever that is and then you're going to read what you're seeing and then you're going to react to the blocks and how they're unfolding and obviously the double teams in front of you are going to branch out and try to climb to the linebackers i believe that sometimes he really didn't have a lot of opportunities because the blocking was so bad but there were times where i saw him just be a little bit hesitant onto which hole to hit and then by that time everything just clogged up and then defenders were trying to spill him outside and then he just ends up getting, you know, maybe even three yards on a game when he sh- probably shouldn't have even had anything. It's just because he's a fantastic talent. But I think his skill set is much better suited to, OK, you're going to this place. And then he can just use that impressive athletic ability and that acceleration to hit the hole and make that alley defender miss. I think that he's going to be in for a much better opportunity to kind of move this offense, especially because and if. Daniel Jones can get this vertical aspect of the offense that we're expecting from a Corey L type system in Jason Garrett going, because if you can stretch the field vertically, then there's not going to be as many eight men boxes. And that's going to lighten the load for Saquon Barkley up front as well. Exactly, Nick. And it really, and, and when you factor in the, also the
1: idea that I think both me and you are on the same page of that, his upside and potential as a receiver really hasn't been tapped much into yet. I all. mean, They ran some wheel routes with him, an occasional arrow here and there, but not nearly what we think he's capable of based on what we've noticed in his skill set, based on the way he moves. And so if you factor that in as well, I mean, what are we
2: talking about here? Name me a linebacker who can cover Saquon Barkley on an arrow route. I don't know one. Saquon Barkley, you know it. say on a first down or a second drive of the game, he runs in or second or third down, whatever. He runs into the flat, right? Then he runs into the flat again. And then maybe like a drive later, he goes like he's going into the flat, gets that linebacker to flare out, puts that outside leg into the ground and then just bends it right back inside for an arrow or Texas route, if you want to call it that. That's dangerous. And then you get the so ball dangerous. in space with Saquon Barkley. And that was a big criticism that you and I had of Pat Shermer last year was how he was not maximizing the weapons of Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley. Now, to his defense, maybe they were dealing with more of an injury than what they were leading on to. That could be a possibility. But even still, we saw him do it one time. We were like, oh, there we go. Okay. And then we wouldn't just we would see it for another week. We wouldn't see it for another two weeks. It's like, why can't you implement that into the game plan? Because that could be so Dangerous when you have the middle of the field open, and you could just get the ball to Saquon, who could make a lot of people miss. He can make defensive backs miss. He makes people look silly because he's such a freak athlete. And I hope that Garrett is going to implement this a lot more than what we saw in the Shermer area era. Because yeah. I mean, th- just think about it, man. Think about what he can do against linebackers and safeties. That's why a lot of these linebackers and safeties, Giants are doing it. They're trying to get these hybrid defenders who are athletic and can tackle guys like Xavier McKinney because it's so hard with the with these types of athletes in the NFL being offensive playmakers and offensive weapons.
1: Yeah, and speaking of Garrett and what we expect from the offense, I mean, I, that's kind of why I want to keep the focus there, because what we expect, and this is based on a lot of good quotes that we've read and Jason Garrett's track history and what the Giants have done from a transactional standpoint, is that Barkley will continue to be the focal point of the offense. He's going to get the most touches of any player. And he's going to get the most snaps of of most running backs around the NFL. And I thought that, you know, a really, really good interview recently happened with John Kitna, who obviously knows Jason Garrett extremely well. He played for him. He was the Cowboys backup for three years when Garrett was the coordinator. Then he came back and he coached, uh, I believe he coached the quarterbacks last year with Garrett. So he has a really good idea what he's going to bring over. And he had a really good interview with the guys at big blue kickoff. Actually, uh, my boy, John Schmelk and and an uh, even better analysis and, and a true friend of mine, Paul Dettino, uh, the two guys from <laughs> Kickoff had a had a really good interview with him. Um, and he gave some insights into you know what they're expect what you should expect from Jason Garrett's offense. And there was a lot to talk about, but specifically some of it focused on Saquon Barkley. And for example, he confirmed the air corial system that Garrett's gonna bring in, it's gonna be a vertical system. Jason Garrett's entire mindset, his entire – everything that makes him as a coordinator and a coach is aggression. He has a very aggressive mindset. He wants to lead the – he wants to take shots downfield early and often. But what he said, which I thought was really important, in addition to him obviously being an aggressive quarterback, is this. He said he's going to call plays that – this is John Kitna. He's going to call plays that are meant to get the football down the field – And trust the quarterback that if we don't get what we're looking for down the field to move on and get it to the back coming out of the backfield. And that's going to be Saquon Barkley because just look at how he used Ezekiel Elliott and running backs in the past. I mean, that's not going to change when you have a Saquon Barkley. And what he said is, you know, he wants to call the game aggressively. He really tries to instill that in his offensive unit. But there was more. He said, basically, he's going to call plays and we're calling a play to throw this route. When you get that route, you let it rip. But again, if it's not there, move on, move on, find the back or find the tight end. Don't just stand there waiting for something to get open. And that's why he was saying, you know, he believes he could actually improve Daniel Jones as well from that standpoint. But again, third time, Kitten to mention it three times in one interview, he says, just move on, move on, take it to the back and move on, get the ball out of your hands. And really, it makes a lot of sense when you consider how Dallas uses Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, Dallas ranked first, fifth, 10th and eighth in rushing attempts. Uh, during the, since they've gotten, since they drafted Ezekiel Elliott. And one of those was with him only playing 10 games. So, I mean, this is not going to change. I think on Barkley is still going to be a massive, massive part of this offense. And then finally, this final quote that really, you know, sealed it in for me was, I can tell you this much, Kitna said, I would imagine that Jason is probably devising ways to put the football in Barkley's hands 25 to 30 times per game. That's not going to be just handing it off to him. It's going to be all different ways you can get the football, get him in space. All I know is Jason's track record is pretty obvious and pretty good at getting the running back, the football upwards of 20 to 25 times a game. So that runner's feeling in the flow and comfortable. And then finally he touched a little bit on how he believes the, the offense will kind of vary when it comes to scheme. Cause he talked about, you know, if you look at what he did with DeMarco Murray, there was, a, he was more of a zone runner. So there was a lot of zone and with Marion Barber, it was, let me get the football and get downhill. But that also is music to my ears too, Nick, because he's going to look at Saquon Barkley. He's going to look at some of the college tape. You know he's going to dig that deep back. Garrett's taking this very similar uh, seriously, and he's going to do the things that Barkley is best at as a running back. So I think for me, I'm extremely excited about what this offense means for Barkley specifically because this is going to be an offense that wants to take shots downfield, and when it's not there, get the ball into Barkley's hands.
2: Music to my ears, too, man. Because how many times we just like, you're forcing this inside zone. It's just not sticking whatsoever. It's like throwing crap at a brick wall or something like that. It just did not work at all. And the fact that there is going to be a little bit of variance to this rushing, if it does benefit, say say something happens to Saquon Barkley and you can bring in somebody like Dion Lewis or something like that, maybe he's not going to be such a fit to the – uh To the power or the pin pull or whatever uh, Kind of concepts are being run in front of him That he can adjust and that is kind of in his wheelhouse Because we didn't see that from Shermer It was all stubbornness and not to knock the guy I'm not trying to knock him at all But it just was not there and it was not working So I like the fact that this could be A much different look but Saquon man I'm really excited for what he What he's going to do this season The one thing he has to clean up and it really reared It's ugly head in the Jet game it really reared It's ugly head in the Lions game Is that pass blocking Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, that pass. was a, that was something I wanted to touch on, too. Before we—you know, we're not ready to wrap up on Barkley. We're going to talk to the rest of the backs, too. But I did want to touch about where he can improve, what he still needs to improve on. And it almost felt to me when I watched the tape that he actually took a step back in pass production. And I'm curious what you think that has to do with. Was it— playing with a rookie court. A lot has been made that it is playing with a rookie quarterback. It's much harder for him to understand what Jones is seeing and where he's supposed to be versus Eli. Who was getting him in the right spots time after time again, because he knew it was coming. Do you think that was more of the case of that? Or do you think it was injury related? What, why did Barkley kind of look
2: considerably worse, at least to me in pass protection during his sophomore season? It didn't seem like he was in position. I'm remembering the one where Jamal Adams stripped the ball and ran for a touchdown he had to run all the way across, and he was his, his feet weren't really necessarily set, and he just got basically abused by Jamal Adams. I've happened a couple different times, so I do think it can be attributed to the fact that Daniel Jones is a young quarterback. He was playing next to Eli Manning, a seasoned vet, and let's remember, Saquon's not a seasoned vet. That was his second year, so just having that, like Daniel had so much on his mind, right? And to ID identify blitzes and kind of set protections. The offensive line helped him with that, I believe this year. So that wasn't all on his plate, but he still has to, assist the running backs the offensive line doesn't necessarily know where Saquon is they have things built into the offense where you know you tap your left side of your butt that means that uh, you're going to take the B gap or the A gap or whatever they have actually built in but there were times when Barkley would be on the opposite side of Jones and got the cross face and come and pick up that blitzer coming from the other side of the formation and it seemed like he struggled in those situations there were times where I saw Barkley and he would pick up the blitz and I was like see that's solid he he just stepped up right in the A gap took that A gap pressure on used his strength didn't get thrown to the ground but it does seem like he was just not in the optimal positions to make a play a lot of the times I'm not going to necessarily say it was just because of injury I just think it's something that he's going to have to get better at I completely agree with that Nick I
1: think it's so much less the physical aspect I think he's a willing blocker and he can sometimes you know I've seen him put together some really good blocks and pass pro but I think it's more of the mental thing and I think part of it like you mentioned is Is Daniel Jones getting a little bit better and helping him? Because he had it very easy his rookie season. He even made mention of this Barkley. You look back at some of the quotes when he talked about this. He talked about how awesome it was to play with a freaking 16-year veteran like Eli who can tell him every single snap where to pick up this blitz. Every single time he's right, it seems like. I mean, that was one of Eli's best things identifying blitzes. He didn't always, he wasn't always good at the end of his career at, you know, processing down the field later on in a down and didn't have much time to do it. (laughs) You can't block for a left tackle, but he was really good at identifying where the blitzes were actually coming from. So that was something that I think. Not Barkley didn't exactly take for granted, Nick, but we took for granted as fans, um, at least looking at his pass protection from year uh, one to year two. So I think that will improve. But overall, I think that Barkley is in for a really good year. And I mean, he wasn't even bad last year. He still averaged 4.6 yards per carry, eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark despite missing several games. Caught, you know, 52 passes for 438. So, you know, nearly 1500 yards after obviously eclipsing 2000. There were games where he literally took over. I mean, the Giants in week 14 were up 17-3 at halftime against the Eagles, and Barkley was completely taking over that game. In the second half, he touched the ball only seven times, and they lost the game, but... He had that, that game, if they were going to win that game, it was because of Saquon Barkley. And, you know, a similar situation came again in that Eagles game the second time when they, you know, had, when he only touched the ball twice, twice oh, in the fourth yeah. quarter. So it's like part of it is also, you know, this is a new regime here with Joe Judge and with Jason Garrett and with Mark Colombo. And they're not going to be afraid and some fans are going to hate it because they're going to lose a game because they ran, and, and it, there's always a Monday morning quarterback to set to to talk about. Either you run the ball too much or you didn't run the ball enough. But this is going to be a team that's going to keep the ball in Barkley's hands, I believe, under judge. And with Garrett, and, and especially if they can get a little bit of a boost from the defense, just a little bit better than what they've had in 2018 and 2019, and I really do believe they will get that. And it's going to be a different kind of offense, and I really think we're going to see less of those games or questioning why that happened but aside from Barkley Nick I did want to talk about the rest of this roster because it's really interesting how the Giants are approaching this they they didn't they didn't invest any draft picks into it but they did make a signing in free agency of a veteran who I think at first I was a little confused about the signing but as you and me talked about it more and you broke down some film on him I came around to it for a lot of reasons I want to start by saying this it's crazy when you look back at the 2019 season Nick at the running back position because Saquon Barkley missed three games and obviously played hurt in the final 10 games. And yet, despite that, Nick, no running back. Guess how many yards the second most. Uh, guess what was the second most rushing yards on the roster for the Giants and who had it? Daniel Jones. But Yes, besides Daniel Jones, because that, oh. that that's a caveat. Daniel Jones had the second most rushing yards on the roster. And I'll get to that number in a second. Despite the fact that Barkley was out for three games and injured for ten ga- for for the final ten games, like didn't get sp- wasn't spelled, there wasn't guys chopping up yards and taking plays. Who do you think had the second most yards of all running backs? Because it was Jones uh, of of the entire team. Who are we looking at? We got Wayne Gallman or John Hillman. Wayne Gallman, but one hundred and ten yards rushing.
2: That was just in the Redskins game,
1: right? I mean, he might have got a few more carries at some point, I guess. And we're talking about one hundred and ten yards, and then Eli <laughs> Penny. Thirty-nine yards, and then finally, John John Hilliman, thirty time, thirty rushing attempts for ninety-one yards for John Hilleman. And, then, well, yeah, and don't forget about Javory's Buck Allen, who wasn't resigned, ten carries for thirty-six yards. This is lit: three guys under hundred yards, and one guy at one ten. This is all that they had combined for only two hundred seventy-six yards, and yet, despite that, the Giants made the decision to not bring back Hilliman. Gallman. Nobody knows about, I'm still a Gallman guy. I love Gallman. I think I don't love him. I like Gallman. I think that he has juice. I think he has ability to make people miss. I think he's tough. And I think he dealt with an injury last year that screwed his whole season up, but they signed Dion Lewis. And I think Dion Lewis is going to be a really, really good depth signing. The more I think about it, just based on a little bit of research we did before this podcast and those numbers that I talk about, does that kind of
2: make it more of an interesting signing to you now with Lewis? yeah one thing john hillman actually is on the roster until the 90 man cuts go down oh you're but, right you're but, right. <laughs> <future> <laughs> but i can't about. imagine he's going to survive the the cuts uh no on hillman but i mean yeah I, you guys watched the giant games last year it just wasn't happening but deon lewis i i think the giants brought him in here and he's going to be someone who can spell barkley you're not going to ideally want that because barkley like you said he's going to get the workload this year if he's healthy but even if he does get dinged up this is the nfl he could play through a lot of injuries you have a veteran somebody who's been on championship teams in the patriots Someone who's kind of bounced around the league also because he was on the Browns and he was on the Titans, another playoff team wasn't really utilized down the stretch. Now, Deion Lewis, isn't all the explosiveness, uh, agility kind of running back that he was in the past, but he's still smart. He's still good at blitz pickup and he's still an effective receiving option. So I, I once I was kind of like you. I was like, okay, this this signing. I mean, let me let uh, me let me think about this for a little bit. And once I did a little bit of digging, I was like, okay, he's definitely lost a step. Like, that's that's kind of clear. But I still think he can establish a role on this team. And if we had a player like him last year, after Wayne Gallman went around or got hurt, then the Giants wouldn't have been in the predicament of sending a rookie quarterback up to Foxborough with John Hillman as his yeah. starting back. So well, I, I can't hate this. pick. This is a cheap contract for a, a veteran running back who has championship pedigree. So I really can't hate that.
1: And do you think, given what we've discussed on this podcast, Saquon Barkley struggles in pass pro, there's a chance that Lewis could siphon some snaps from him on obvious passing downs uh, because, obviously, he's a vet. He's going to be much further along from a mental standpoint in pass pro. And like you said, he runs good routes. Not to say Barkley doesn't, but he runs good routes as well. Do you think there's a chance he could start
2: to take some of those third down rolls and some of those third down snaps, I should say? I would say... The chance comes if Barkley, like if something like Jamal Adams happens again, if a situation like that happens where he has a couple really big lapses and some key moments on third down and pass protection, then probably I still think Dion Lewis will probably go out. say Saquon Barkley busts a 45 yard run, he needs a breather, send Dion Lewis into that game or the Giants can come out in 20 personnel. You have Deion Lewis to the left, and you have Saquon Barkley to the right, and those linebackers, or that hybrid safety, whomever, they're going to have to cover these guys in man coverage. And I think that could be really interesting, something we didn't see all too often. You could do split back. You could do whatever. You could do some different things with these two athletes. Again, Lewis definitely lost his step. But just having him there, you can send Barkley out on a route, and then Deion Lewis can be the person in pass protection. But you don't want to establish a weird trend or anything like that where, oh, it's third down. Deion Lewis is in the game. He's never going to run a route. Right. They just want him for pass protection. So you got to be careful with it. But I do think it provides the offense some flexibility with what you want to do with your personnel packages and how you want to employ these kind of running backs. Yeah, I
1: think that makes a lot of sense, Nick. And then aside from those guys, obviously, you know, you 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 corrected that our Hillman is on a future reserves. Giants also have a couple other interesting guys who might have a shot to crack the roster. Javon Leak, undrafted rookie free agent signing from Maryland, reminds uh, a Maryland fan I talked to said he reminds him a lot of Darrell Scott, of, of old school Giants, special teams ace good kick returner a lot of juice and then sandro i don't know how to pronounce this guy's name sandro platz gommer sandro i think he's an austrian from the nfl's international player pathway program that's going to be pretty interesting i think this guy's got some juice though from what i've seen too so curious if you think either of those two guys have any shot really
2: uh i think sandro i'm not really 100 percent sure about his shot i think it's a cool story but I, I am intrigued by Javon Leak, mainly because of special teams. He He's kind of a one-cut runner, and he had to split backfield with a couple talented running backs over there for the Terps. But you give him the ball, and he puts his foot in the ground, one cut, gets to that second level, and his acceleration – It's pretty evident. You watch his highlight tape, and again, it's highlight tape. There's a reason that this guy wasn't getting, you know, 30 carries a game. He's not that type of runner. But he has some really impressive explosive runs, and I think he could be a kick returner for this team. You don't have to put Jabril Peppers back there now. You know, you can rely have him just focus on the defense. If you bring in a guy like Javon Leak, and he can crack this roster as somebody who can, you know, a hold on to the damn football, and b Hmm. be very explosive, and you know, use your athletic ability to help set the Giants offense up with good field position. I think Javon Leak does have a chance to make this team, as does uh, uh, Derek Dillons, another explosive player. It might be one spot between those guys because that explosive factor can't be understated. You know what I'm saying? And he has that under his belt along with the special teams. So he could definitely be looking at a roster spot, but that also who's going to the roster spot there. Other than Jonathan Hillman, you know, Wayne Gallman, that That gets thrown in. This isn't, you know, Dave Gettleman wasn't a Wayne Gallman guy when it comes to the fact that he didn't draft him, so that's kind of frightening. And I like Wayne Gallman. I do. I think, you know, he played really well in that Redskins game, like I said earlier, but then he got injured and it just never came back, and he didn't see the field down the stretch of the year. So we're not 100% sure where he stands on this roster. But yeah, Leak, Leak is interesting. For I like a couple of these undrafted free agents. I do. I think I think uh, the ball bounces their way a couple times. They can make this roster. He's one of them. Yeah, Leak yeah. is one of the undrafted guys I'm
1: also, I'm also more intrigued by than, than some of the others, especially considering I still think this team needs to find some kind of boost in the special teams game from the return game. I think mm-hmm. they've kind of done everything else they can do to improve the rest of their special teams unit, with the exception, obviously, of Aldrick Roses, and you can't control a kicker that's just so mental. Obviously, I mean, if you're looking for a clear example, just look at the New York Giants. We're talking about a guy who's literally a first-team All-Pro in 2018 and one of the worst kickers. Pickers in the NFL in 2019 with no reported injuries. But that's out of their control, I believe. they got to stick with the talent there, the leg talent there. But they still need that return boost. They still need something in the return game. And and if he's a guy who can do it, he'll make the roster. But I think I would say this, Nick, and I'm curious what you think, including Deion Lewis in this, based on the structure of his contract, I don't really think anyone is safe. And I think there's going to be a really serious competition at the running back position this offseason in training camp behind Barkley. I really— Go as far as saying uh, any of these guys could be
2: on the roster or not on the roster. It kind of goes right in line with what uh, Joe Judge has been preaching this entire offseason. You know, nobody is really safe. You know, you got to compete. And that's kind of coach speak. And obviously, you know, Daniel Jones is going to be the starting quarterback. Saquon Barkley is going to be the starting running back. But when it comes down to these roster spots, Wayne Gallman. Deion Lewis, Javon Leak, if they start choking up in training camp or whatever the hell happens with this NFL offseason, yeah, I, I can't say I'm 100% confident any one of those guys is going to make the roster. If Dion Lewis uh, doesn't make the roster, I'm not going to be shocked. I'd expect him to, but because he is a, you know, by all accounts, he's a professional, he's been around the league, and the Giants obviously have interest in him because they went out and they signed him, but if his training camp sucks and these other younger guys outplay him, then if he's gone, he's gone that will not shock me whatsoever. So there's, there's, there's definitely some competition that can be had, especially for that third running back spot, because we have no idea what's going to happen with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really think either second and third running back spots, I really do believe that there's going to be competition for it this summer and that's going to be good for them. I think one final thing I did want to touch on, which I thought was interesting to me about this running position, back position that kind of goes under the radar. I, I really do. And it was, The hiring of Burton Burns, who's going to be the running back's coach, this is a guy who has a really good history coaching this position. He's a hard-ass. He's known as a hard-ass. He's a really tough coach. You know, he's coached with Saban. This is a guy who brings to the table – a different mindset and but I think it's going to mesh extremely well with someone like Saquon Barkley because Saquon Barkley is somebody who I believe could have played in Alabama under a Nick Saban I don't think he's the type of athlete who needs to have things catered to him who can't take harsh criticism at least from what I've seen and and it's not like the Giants haven't had any of those athletes recently on this roster who have a lot of talent and I won't mention any names but as far as Barkley goes I haven't seen any sign of that at all from him. I think he's somebody who will take that kind of criticism and and thrive under it because he's somebody who wants really just focused on being the best that he can be. So I think that that addition could really end up being smart and just under the radar for this running back position and Barkley specifically.
2: Anytime you bring in a coach that instills respect into it It does not demand respect he instills respect and is just a tough hard nosed kind of football guy I believe it would really mesh well with players like Saquon Barkley because they have that head on their shoulders they're out there they want to be the best they really put the onus on themselves to be the best they're not finger pointers or anything like that so yeah I have to 100% agree with that take I think he can really I mean I don't even think that Barkley needs to be you're not going to unlock some hidden motivation in him. I think he's already hundred percent dedicated, but just bringing in somebody like Burns is going to also help him just because he's been around some great football minds in his time as well.
1: Yeah, no doubt. All right, before we wrap this pot up, we do want to talk fullbacks too. It's part of our, running back positional preview. We won't just be doing a podcast on fullback. Sorry, we don't have the ammo for that. Um, but what do you make of the kind of situation right now on the Giants roster? They obviously made the decision to re-sign uh, Eli Penny, but they also brought in a practice squad guy, George Alston. So he's expected to return to the roster. What do you, what do you expect of the fullback position as we move forward in Jason Garrett's offense?
2: I think they're going to implement uh, definitely some... You know, 21 personnel and tight uh, short situations, maybe even on first down, you know, 20 personnel, like we said before, but instead of Deion Lewis, it's going to be a fullback. Now, I can't really speak too much on George Aston. I don't really know much about him, but the Giants obviously value Eli Penny to some extent because he was a free agent and then they gave him a contract. Upon the end of the season to keep him here. So they do value him to some extent. I think that you you are going to see some fullback play, though. I don't think this is going to be one of those offenses where there are like fullback never sees the field. I think it's going to be, you're definitely going to see two running backs. You're going to see offset eye to the weak, to the strong side. You're going to see some eye formation. You're going to see some of that power football type of elements in this offense, too. It's not going to be an exclusive thing. You're going to see a lot of single back as well. You're going to see a lot of shotgun, but there's definitely fullback will definitely be implemented. Yeah, for
1: sure, and and just to show you how much I know about George Aston, I called him George Alston earlier. So, George Aston is his name. I don't know. I don't have much on him yet, but we're gonna we're obviously gonna fi- get a look at him this summer for sure. Yeah, but,
2: I know he's from Pitt. He's like six foot, two hundred and forty yeah. pounds. Like a, those are just like basically the bare bones of what I know <laughs> about. <him. laughs>
1: yeah, we we have some work to do on George Aston for sure. Um, but anyway, guys. Really, thanks again for tuning into the podcast. It's the dead, dead, dead drive the offseason, but we're going to give you some good stuff. We got some really good stuff on Daniel Jones coming up. That'll be the next one, a deep dive into his deep passing game from his rookie season, really an area of focus heading into the draft where people, you know, analysts that criticized him said he wasn't going to be able to compete at the NFL level. We're going to continue our positional breakdown as we move through the offseason, and eventually we're going to get into some good stuff with some good guests, so keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Potentially some big announcements coming for the pod, by the way, just a little hint, a little spoiler, coming soon, but for now, a little little mum-mum on that, a little hush-hush, but... Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And if you do want to help explore, uh, or help us grow the podcast, all you have to do is tell your Giants fans, friends, and family and give us a rating and a review on iTunes, subscribe and download every pod. That's it. Simple things, but it goes a long way for us. So thanks again for everyone tuning in. and Have a great rest of your week.